0: This is Jay Ferber, and you're watching the TV Writer Podcast.
1: So I want to tell you a little bit about our main sponsor for the episode. Script Anatomy is a screenwriting school that gets incredible results. In just four years, their students have won 58 fellowships, half of them at major studios. In 2020 alone, Script Anatomy won four out of 11 fellowships at CBS and three out of eight at Warner Brothers. Why? because the instructors are all working writers with current credits. They teach a consistent tool-based program and they treat students like emerging professionals. To get your writing career started, go to scriptanatomy.com. My name's Gray Jones and you're watching the TV Writer Podcast, episode 127 for January 11th, 2022. Wow, so exciting to say that, but I'm here with comic and TV writer, Jay Ferber. How are you doing, Jay? I'm good, thanks for having me. I'm so excited to talk to you because you are a genuine longtime writer of comics. You've written some big titles, but then you've also written many television series and Mm -hmm. and you continue to write for for both mediums. And so I think this is gonna be a particularly interesting episode. Awesome. Now, I I should mention that usually this podcast focuses on the TV writer and how they navigate their career. Mm -hmm. And we will get to that in a bit, but when I called out for questions, I got an unprecedented <laughs> number. Like I literally have never had anywhere near that number of people weighing in. Mm-hmm. And so I, I didn't think it was fair to those people not to address a few of the things that sure. they were bringing up. And, and particularly they were dealing with um, the, the finale in the last season of Supergirl. Mm-hmm. And we generally don't talk plot on this podcast, but we will do this just as an excerpt. Sure, I'll put it on YouTube just to address those questions. And then the rest will be our normal Format. great um so so first of all the the big thing that everybody's talking about is um, was there queer baiting you hear about this supercorp thing I think definitely I know from the very beginning of supergirl that that representation was always a big deal on the show and and mm-hmm. it's been lauded for that representation but um, I think it's a it's a it's it's a good question to ask because there is a segment of fans that feel a certain way about how this might happen in the show or that might happen in the show how much does that get talked about in the writers room and and what can you tell me about the decision making process particularly for these big plot points and big season arcs
0: sure I mean it's a complicated subject just for one thing the writers room is uh sacred sounds like too strong a word but but there has to be trust and and uh a level of comfort in the writer's room for writers to be able to uh, tell stories about themselves open up emotionally be vulnerable to to dig deep and find uh, you know moments from your life that you may want to mine uh for storytelling uh and so i can't really talk in too much detail about decisions and and storytelling decisions we made in the writer's room because i don't want to betray any trust but also because like i'm not the showrunner you know the uh i'm uh, i'm a foot soldier on supergirl i'm i'm one of many writers and and i i don't make the decisions uh and on a show like supergirl which is based on a on an ip an intellectual property uh, an existing character who's been around for decades any big storytelling decision in terms of her costume Her love life her secret identity her career all of these things would have to get signed off on i mean the showrunner would have to want to do it dc comics has to sign off on it warner brothers has to sign off on it the cw has to sign off on it so i i can't even begin to break down why we chose to tell one story and not another and and whose decision it was you know if if the showrunners or warner brothers wants to to you know peel back the curtain uh or pull back the curtain i guess is the expression uh, uh they can but it, it's not my place to do that uh i will say our writers room was uh diverse and inclusive and uh we did talk about uh the romantic pairings of our characters and stuff but sometimes in storytelling you know the story's not always going to go the way that you want it to or expect it to or think it should uh, we just chose to tell the stories that we felt were right for these characters. Uh, and that's what ended up on screen. Mm.
1: Yeah, and I, and I think, I mean, people have to remember, Melissa Benoist getting a, a haircut was an mm. issue. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, when she went to the bangs mm-hmm. or when she wanted um, to, to have pants instead of right. a skirt. Right, right. I mean, these things have to go way up the chain, yes. even for very small decisions like yes, that.
0: Exactly. So there's a lot of people who have to be on board with with any storytelling decision like that uh and so i i am just saying i'm saying that so that it's not uh all put on the shoulders of the writers like this was our decision to do something or not to do it uh of course the writers have to be and, and the showrunners especially have to be on board with a story like if they don't want to do it it's never going to get up to anybody else who has to sign off on it uh but you know the truth is that that you know, even the showrunner is is considered you know the the boss of the show, and that's true, but only up to a certain extent. There's always somebody they have to answer to, uh, be it the network, the studio, you know, DC Comics, who owns the IP. Uh, So it's it's a lot more complicated, I think, than a lot of people give it credit. Mm-hmm.
1: And I I think perhaps one of the things that might have fed this a little bit is is recently. Mm-hmm. Um, Uh, Superman's son came out as bisexual Mm -hmm. in the comics. Um, But even in a case like that, that's a very specific comic. Right. It's not necessarily all of the Superman comics. um, And that's a specific application of that character that won't necessarily translate into superman and lois right so can you just just talk a little bit about dc's involvement
0: in Uh, in the series i mean yeah dc would they would be on notes calls like at the beginning of the season uh we would normally get like a a a, a packet or or a binder from dc of potential villains that they were offering up or supporting characters or just anybody from their catalog that they thought like hey you know these are available to you if you want because certain shows get kind of dibs on on certain characters on characters that are that are part of their you know their canon uh and so sometimes we look at those characters and think or there is there anybody we want to use in our season um or sometimes we'll find a character we'll be telling a story and think you know oh we should have a villain who could create ice and then we'll look at the dc comics characters who can create ice and we'll find one that we think we can use, and, you know, uh, we'll run that up in DC. We'll either say yes or no, and if they say no, sometimes they'll give us uh, variations on, on like, oh, you can't use this character, but you can use this one. Uh, <clears throat> Alex becoming Sentinel is a good example of that, because we knew we wanted her to have a costumed identity, and uh, we, but we didn't know what yet, exactly. And so I think we talked to DC, and they're like, well, you know, there's the same Sentinel that we've used in the past for various characters, you know, you can have that if you want. And we thought, oh, that's great. And so we worked that into her story and, and tied it into John's time on Mars with, you know, why he designated her that name. Uh, so DC is involved. Uh, you know, they, they, they have to approve things and they're, they're, uh, uh, they're an added benefit. You know, they, they uh, help us in terms of, like I said, offering up characters that we can use if we want.
1: Yeah, and, and I think it's important to remember Supergirl, just had its finale Mm -hmm. the character in the comics is going to live on for a long time so dc really has a a vested interest in the further storytelling of that character
0: totally totally and you see there's and and these characters all have different iterations like there's going to be a supergirl in the new flash movie apparently who's not connected to our supergirl in any way and the stuff going on in the supergirl comic right now is not connected to what we've done on the show or what's happening in the flash movie so these characters all have different iterations uh you know, it would be kind of funny sometimes in the writer's room, I'd get asked, like, well, how is it, you know, what, what's the canon? What, what, how is it in the comics? Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, which comics? <laughs> like, There's the Peter David run of Supergirl. There's, you know, the, uh, this run of Supergirl. And, and there's, you know, it's, she's been changed and rebooted so many times that it's canon is kind of a, a moving target.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I do want to be fair to the fans as well. Um, DC listens. Yeah, and and you know, I mean, if people are vocal, um, they they made you may just see one of the characters from the Supergirl series end up in the comics, and it's happened yeah. before.
0: Yeah, yeah, Dreamer is yeah. a good example. Dreamer was originated our version of Dreamer. You know, she's sort of tied to the Legion, but uh, Nianal was created on Supergirl, and now she's appearing in DC Comics. So yeah, these these tend to bleed into each other.
1: Very very cool. Um, next question, and there are a couple of questions in this sort of neighborhood where um, Jay wrote this episode mm-hmm. and this happened. Why does he feel this needs to happen mm-hmm. or something like that? And, and I, I think it, it just betrays sort of a, uh, perhaps a lack of understanding about the process of how an episode of television is developed. Yes. And so why don't you tell me about that right from the sort of season arcs and how those are decided right onto an episode being written. Sure.
0: Yeah, I mean, I could talk for half an hour about just this part of the process. Yeah. Uh, and Every writers' Room is different. On Supergirl, uh, we would start each season with, you know, we would talk for a couple weeks about that season in particular. What do we want to say? What is, what is the theme of our season? What are we trying to say? Uh, and kind of once we settle on that, we'll start talking talk about more story, like how to, okay, we want to talk about this this theme or this subject but what's the actual story that we're going to tell and and we'll talk for a couple weeks about that and and you know find the villain that we want to use uh you know as the uh you know to help get this story going uh and then we'll start breaking down by that point we usually know how many episodes we're doing that year and so we'll put those up on a board of just you know if we're doing 20 episodes we have 20 columns and we'll just start putting in like uh, goal posts or mile markers of okay you know let's say this season's about supergirl losing her powers so we think she's going to lose her powers in episode four that sounds like a good place and we'll put that on episode four and then in episode 10 a new form of kryptonite arrives on earth and it gives her new powers in okay, case so that's episode 10 and then episode 14 we realize these new powers are killing her that's going to happen around 14 and then in episode 19 they find the cure and then in episode 20 she can save the day and so those, we have our big sort of goal posts and there's a lot to fill in in between there but that's enough to get us started to breaking individual episodes and then when we break individual episodes then we dig into that episode in particular and, and put that up on a board and and each episode would have a theme what is the theme of this episode how do we dramatize that theme uh you know what characters do we have this episode? Because something else people aren't aware of, is that not every actor is guaranteed to be in every episode. Even even actors whose names appear as as series regulars may not be contracted to appear in every single episode. They may be 18 episodes out of 20, and so we have to build in two episodes that they don't appear in. Or, if we want to use them in all 20, we have to pay them extra for those extra two episodes that aren't part of the budget. Uh, So those are decisions that that have to be made as we break the episodes. and how, how many are uh, were on the staff
1: in those last couple of seasons uh,
0: we had i believe 12 writers uh both seasons that i was on the show and that includes our two showrunners. uh and so on supergirl every episode was co-written so you'd have at least two writers sometimes three sometimes four on the episode uh and sometimes you would know at the start of of the break when you're talking about that episodes you would know who's gonna write it sometimes you don't sometimes you're three or four days into figuring out what the episode is before it's decided, okay, you two are gonna write it. Mm. Um,
1: and, just, and just so people understand, because mm-hmm. I think there'll be a lot of people tuning in who may not um, know much about television writing. Mm-hmm. When you say breaking an episode, yes. you're going through beat by beat, scene by scene.
0: Yeah. When I say breaking an episode, that means we're, we're breaking the story. We're figuring out what the story is. We're, we're figuring out the twists and turns, the setups and the payoffs literally what happens like you said in every scene uh and we don't usually we start kind of a bigger picture of of what the general shape of the episode is and you get you kind of zoom in closer and closer uh, through the process like you'll say okay this scene is a fight scene between supergirl and lex luthor that's enough for now and then we talk about the next scene and we keep going and then we'll circle back and get more detail okay we know this is a fight between supergirl and lex luthor but where's the fight happening okay it's gonna be at the waterfront okay well what's you know we'll talk more detail about the fight what makes this fight different than the other times she's fought lex what is you know what's he doing is it nighttime or daytime what are the you know just what's the choreography what makes this different uh and we'll do that for all the scenes just getting in more detail and that's the whole staff everybody's in there the showrunners, all the writers except for whatever writers might be off writing the previous script uh but everybody's collaborating on it everybody's pitching ideas even if it's not their episode uh, there are plenty of episodes that have moments or, like, a line of dialogue that I've pitched, but my name isn't on it. And there are plenty of episodes I've written that have these moments that were pitched by other writers, even though their names aren't on it. Um,
1: and it goes to the outline stage as well, and is that sent to the network? It
0: goes, yeah. The So before we even get to an outline, you've, we first write what's called a story document. Some shows call it a story area, some call it a story arena. Um, and this is anywhere from a page to four pages of just sort of, uh, a synopsis of what the episode is, uh, sort of imagine, you know, the, the, the back of a Blu-ray or the back of a paperback novel, that, that sort of summary of the episode. It's a, it's kind of like that, of here's the story we're telling in broad strokes. Uh, here's the emotion. Here are the plot moves that gets sent to the studio and the network. They chime in with any notes they have, uh, and then... It would, on some shows, it goes to an outline. By the time I got to Supergirl, we didn't do outlines. Uh, Every other show I've been on, you would turn in, you would break down those scenes into an outline of anywhere from 10 to 20 pages, and then that gets sent to the network and the studio. And the outline tells the story scene by scene uh, in kind of an abridged version. Sometimes there's a little bit of sample dialogue, usually, there's not. on Supergirl, uh, I think they started out doing outlines, but I didn't join until season five. And by that point, I think the studio and the network, everybody trusted that everybody knew what they were doing. And so they didn't need to see an outline at that stage. Um, sometimes we would write run internally just for ourselves to make sure everything kind of felt right. Uh, but then we would go off to script. And then the script is divided up. You know, if you have two writers, you're each writing half of it. Uh, sometimes you would divide a script up. Uh, on Supergirl, we had six acts. Uh, and you know divided up by commercial breaks um and so generally you know some you know you would each write three acts um sometimes you would divide it up okay you write the first three i'm gonna write the back three and we'll just put it together sometimes it's i'll write acts one three and five and you're gonna write two four and six and we put it together sometimes it makes more sense to write storylines like if supergirl and alex are on one storyline and rarely interact with Brainy and Nia and John, who are on a different storyline, sometimes it makes more sense for one writer to write one storyline and the other writer to write another. It makes combining it a little more difficult, because then you have to, you're literally cutting and pasting every different scene back and forth. Uh, But that's another way to write it. And you put them all together into a script, you read it, you give each other notes, sometimes you'll get notes from other writers, uh, and then it goes to the showrunners for their notes. You'll do a couple rounds of notes with the showrunners uh sometimes the showrunners will take a pass and and do a rewrite of their own other times they don't and they'll just give you notes and you'll do the own your own rewrite uh and once the showrunners are happy with it then oh. the script goes to the studio and you get a round of notes from the studio and then it goes to the network and you get a round of notes from the network uh and then once the network is happy with it then it goes into oh. production and you have a production draft and that's what goes to everybody in vancouver and, and they can start actually working on the episode and building sets and and scouting locations and casting guest roles and and all that stuff and then again all shows are different on Supergirl at least one writer until COVID hit would go up to set for that episode and the next writer would go back into the writer's room and and contribute to helping break the next episode and the writer who's up on set is generally the one who does production rewrites because this happens all the time uh there was an episode I wrote uh with another writer that was written to have a, a date between cara and william and that date was going to be mini golf problem was we were shooting it in vancouver in january and there's not <laughs> oh, going to be oh, mini golf nobody's going to play mini golf in january in vancouver where it's raining or snowing or just cold and wet uh and so we rewrote it to be playing pool at a, at a bar uh and so i rewrote it uh just because of the location that's something that you know you rewrite we're going to shoot it in two days and then, you know, the bosses sign off on your rewrite, and it, and, you know, it gets woven back into the script, Uh, and little things like that will come up on set, little changes you have to make for production, or, hey, you know, this scene is three pages, and it's great, but our day is really tight, and can you knock off half a page of this scene, and so then you have to go in and rewrite that scene, and try to keep all the emotion, and all the plot logic, and everything, but make it just shorter, find a way to To communicate the same idea but in less time to make it more simple to shoot so that we can make our days uh, which means not going into overtime Uh, so it's a long process and there's a lot of people involved and a lot more people than just the two or three or four names that you see on that episode
1: right right and 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 people got to understand i mean i've i've been on the receiving end of notes and major things can change with every notes pass yeah so when the studio, weigh, or showrunner weighs in, when the studio mm-hmm. weighs in, when the network weighs in, there there can be significant changes. And that continues even into post-production.
0: Yeah, and, th- and there are sometimes things that just get cut for time or get cut for... I- I've, I've been on episodes, I can't think of any on Supergirl in particular, but where an entire storyline has just been dropped because the episode was too long or it wasn't quite working. And so we'll just drop this, you know, six, you know, I, drop this... B story, uh, and the episode works without it. Mm. And then you have all this stuff that we wrote and shot that actually doesn't make it in the episode. Wow. Uh, so yeah, a lot of stuff can change. Uh, and sometimes it's based on notes because somebody doesn't like what's been written. Other times it's based on logistics of mini golf sounds great, but we just physically can't make it happen. So what else can we do that captures that same vibe? Yeah.
1: And, uh, you hinted at this a little bit in a number of other questions i i know have very direct answers mm-hmm. and that's um there were some production challenges mm-hmm. with covid yeah. and and other external forces yes during the last couple of seasons mm-hmm. yeah. um can you talk uh, specifically about those
0: yeah i mean in i forget the timeline exactly but i know we we knew going into season six that melissa was pregnant and uh was going to need maternity leaves and so we had to build that into the story we were telling so that meant We have to build episodes that don't have a lot of Supergirl in them. Uh, And, you know, we came up with a plan to, uh, you know, send her to the Phantom Zone. uh, And then we block shot some stuff so that... We concocted a schedule so that Supergirl could be in every episode, or I think most of them. Uh, But we would shoot all of her scenes when she was back from maternity leave. all her scenes in the phantom zone um and then we thought okay we have a plan melissa's maternity leave is going to disrupt things and we had a we had planned like a mini hiatus for the writers because everything would just shut down for a while and then COVID happened and that blew all that up so then we had to figure out a schedule that would allow us to shoot safely during a pandemic and would also accommodate melissa's maternity leave all this was happening at the same time uh and you know so we shut down for a while and you know people who were not me people higher up uh on the food chain were the ones who making these big decisions of you know how are we going to do this how are we it it literally changed how many days we would take to shoot an episode because we couldn't move as fast because people had to be masked and there had to be safety protocols and social distancing uh and so it it made our episodes uh we just had to write them differently the fight scenes couldn't be quite as as complicated as they once were crowd scenes were harder to do um intimate scenes between characters who were in a relationship we had to be careful about that even I think that there was a scene where Brainy and Nia were going to kiss but ultimately it turned into either a hug or like a hand on a shoulder just because the scene didn't need a kiss and so why risk it because this was kind of before vaccine status and all that stuff um so there's there were a lot of challenges but our crew and, and our bosses figured it out and um it was safe you know we we pulled it off we we did a season of television during a pandemic uh but it definitely impacted it also impacted guest cast because to fly to canada you have to quarantine for two weeks upon arrival before you could even shoot anything uh and so if you were casting somebody you're like well can we bring up an actor from hollywood or do we need to cast local out of vancouver and who can we get and what makes the most sense and then you know if you're casting an actor who's going to be in three episodes in a row that might make more sense because they can quarantine be there for three whole episodes and then go home but if you're having an actor who's going to be in one episode and then not one and then be in the third like do they go back and forth and have to quarantine all those times do they just stay in vancouver the whole time if they're not working all of these things had to be figured out uh it also meant the writers couldn't go to set uh just because it why take that risk like it's it's very helpful uh to have them there but it wasn't absolutely necessary so instead the writers would stay here in california and cover set virtually meaning we would have a, a live feed on our computer or our ipad uh of what they were shooting and we'd be on a constant text or phone call with the director to like yeah that looks good or oh you know i think maybe we should try it this way or or whatever if they had questions uh but it, it worked we made it work it was everybody adapted pretty well uh, but it definitely had an impact on actors that we could cast and just the kinds of stories and the kind of scenes that we could safely produce.
1: Mm. Wow. Well, I, I got to say, I have a lot more respect for <laughs> um, all of the shows that we're able to release, like Superman and Lois, yeah. Supergirl. A number of shows were able to somehow make it through yep. this crazy challenge of the pandemic. Yeah. Um, and, and, and to be fair, I, I noticed as a viewer a lot of romantic storylines being affected mm-hmm. um like in other shows it's it's funny the kiss happens in a in a big wide right. shot instead yeah. of in a close shot so yep. you don't realize they're not actually kissing right. and things like that yep but hey we got we got to watch tv through yeah. this crazy time exactly
0: exactly it's 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 uh i think it's a testament to how talented these crews are in particular who pulled off all of this stuff shooting what i think it turned out pretty well in terms of fight scenes and 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 everything that that uh given all the constraints uh i'm not saying we should be graded on a curve but you know there were a lot of things that happened this season for everyone who was making television
1: very cool so uh, we're going to continue with just a couple more questions uh, fun ones johnny cisco um you've interacted with him before he asked about are there any plans that you have to develop anything for Greatest American Hero?
0: I'm a huge Greatest American Hero fan. It's one of my favorite shows when I was a kid, and I, I still love it to this day. Uh, I was so fortunate. My what was it? My second-to-last Supergirl episode was directed by Tanya McKiernan, who is the daughter of Stephen J. Cannell, who created the Greatest American Hero, and is one of my idols. And Tanya is a forced to be reckoned with in her own right uh she's an incredible director and one of the favorites on supergirl Uh, i have no plans to do anything with the greatest american hero as much as i would love to i would love to 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 get my hands on that that character and that property and and to work you know with tanya would be amazing uh but there's i there's nothing going on at least that i'm involved with
1: yeah very cool um and also craig byrne who we all know uh, author of several of smallville companion books and also the Krypton site family of websites, he created amazing websites. He asks about your comics, Noble Causes and Near Death, and if you have any plans to adapt those to the screen.
0: Yeah, um, both have come close in the past. They're both two of my favorite comics that I've ever worked on. Uh, uh, Nothing in the works right now, I guess is what I could say. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have come close. We will continue to uh, try to push that rock up the hill, Um, and hopefully someday there'll be something on, on our screens we can watch.
1: Very cool. We're going to take a quick sponsor break and we'll be back to talk all about Jay. AVgearguy.com uses state-of-the-art technology to bring new life to old films and videos, like the Lost Betty White series, Pet Set, which they recently restored for its 50th anniversary. They can apply the same technology to your documentary, film and video archive, and family videos. Visit AVgearguy.com for details. Drivingfootage.com provides 360-degree driving plates for film and TV. Over 14,000 clips are available for locations all around Southern California, with more areas coming soon. A fully equipped camera car with height-adjustable rig is available for custom shoots. Visit drivingfootage.com for details. Full disclosure, I do own both of these companies. By supporting them, you help me bring new in-person video interviews to you. And we're back. And of course, um, you're, you're just a little younger than me. Um, we grew up in the 70s a time which was so exciting for comics <laughs> i i remember um as soon as i got my allowance i rushed to the store to buy whatever i could afford uh richie rich was 35 cents and the good comics, Marvel and DC, were 75 cents, which was all of my week's allowance, but yeah. I put it all into that book and <laughs> raced home to read it. I think that's a bit of your story, too.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I don't recall my first comic, but I know that I came to comics through two paths. One was the uh, Adam West Batman, which was in reruns when I was a kid. I'd watch it afternoons after school. And Saturday morning, Super Friends cartoons. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, and then... Um, I remember you know I, I would buy comics occasionally uh, but I remember this had to be this was early to mid I think early 80s new Teen Titans uh, I was just at the local pharmacy and came across this issue of the new Teen Titans which I had never seen the comic before and I was just it changed my life I was just like oh my god like so wait Robin Batman's sidekick has his own team of like cool superheroes and he's got this alien girlfriend like what is this it was the coolest thing i'd ever seen uh and then that got me on board then i was a a big time fan of of new teen titans but everything i that really got me collecting comics and uh i just have never stopped to this day
1: very cool very cool so you you wrote and drew uh your own comics growing up but there was a point that you decided that you wanted to just be writing them when was that
0: that was yeah i I wrote and drew my own comics all through you know elementary school and even into high school and then uh you know was really into art really loved drawing superheroes and everything and even was an art major for one semester at a local community college uh but i just it wasn't for me like my my classmates would spend hours on a painting of a bowl of fruit and i just didn't have the patience like I, i wanted i would quickly scribble it out and I would to move on to the next thing and I realized that I just didn't have the discipline uh, or, or the interest I guess uh, because one of my professors pulled me aside one day and said you know if you want to dr- learn to draw comics you're gonna have to learn how to draw <laughs> and I was like yeah I don't think I do and I realized that what really appealed to me about comics was the storytelling it was really the writing I was only drawing them because I had no one else to draw them and I didn't understand at that point that you could just write a script uh and i around that time i was also really getting into mystery novels uh and so i decided to just pivot into writing uh and at that point i I didn't even really care what i wanted to write novels i wanted to write comics tv was not even like a possibility um i didn't i grew up in in like rural pennsylvania i didn't know anyone who'd ever gone to film school or worked in television so it was wasn't even on my horizon uh but but I, I knew that you could write novels and i knew that people wrote comics and so that's what i wanted to do and it wasn't until much later in life that writing for television actually became more of a like actual possibility that i could pursue
1: mm. and it's interesting your, your first published story was was what if, what if? marvel's what if yeah. um now it's actually on yeah. the screen and going I to was season ahead two. of the
0: curve
1: <laughs> yeah very cool uh, any interest in writing for that series
0: uh yeah that'd be a ton of fun uh just the stuff they've done is is really interesting and and just the i think the animation style is incredible Mm -hmm. uh yeah that would be a lot of fun i mean the reason that i was given that my first gig was this issue of what if is because the book had already been canceled and the editor wanted to try me out and it was like well i can give you this (laughs) like literally nothing what's the worst could happen the book's already going away so i wrote the very last issue of this book and proved my chops enough that he gave me another job and another one and then you know i was getting regular work before too long
1: very cool well um tell me about sort of uh it was it was about maybe a decade of writing comics a little more before you started moving into tv
0: yeah a little more i I think i broke in in 98 into comics and then broke into tv i think in 2011 2010 Mm -hmm. uh so yeah a little over a decade um and it was, I had I had gone from writing comics at in DC to writing my own stuff at Image. Uh, and then uh, my good friend Brian Vaughn uh, moved to LA and got hired on the staff of Lost. And I started hearing his stories about being in the writer's room. And he was my first example of like, oh, you could actually pivot from comics to TV. Uh, and I was living in Seattle at the time and would fly down to LA... To visit Brian and hang out, and and I got a Hollywood manager, uh, and at one point, uh, there was a a screenwriter attached to develop one of my comics, a book called Dynamo 5, and I had met with her and heard her ideas, and you know, they weren't bad, and uh, went back and had lunch with Brian and his wife, and they said, you know, if Dynamo 5 gets turned into a movie, she's going to make more money on it than you will, as the person who created it. Oh, wow. Like, why aren't you writing this script? And I was like, yeah, why aren't I? And called my manager and I said yeah I want to write this if anybody's going to write this it should be me and you know I said okay and so I wrote a draft of a movie just on spec and it's it's terrible but I at least wrote it um and then around that time I started getting more serious about tv and movies and there are these programs in Hollywood that the studios uh have created the Warner Brothers TV workshop the NBC writers on the verge CBS has one I think Fox has one um and they're sort of like a a writer's boot camp um Mm -hmm. and so i applied to all of these i wrote a spec script and sent it to all of them and actually got an interview on the warner brothers one uh so i flew down to la and stayed on brian's couch and and interviewed flew back home to seattle and and told them that look if i get in i'll move down here because it wasn't paid it's Mm -hmm. unpaid everybody else applying already lived here i believe uh but i got in and so i packed up my life and moved down to la uh and got an apartment and this this workshop was like one night a week for i think like five months maybe we started in october november and ended in like march april uh and then it's a boot camp it's you hear from showrunners and other writers and directors and and uh agents and managers and it's just kind of an intensive as to how how a tv staff works uh and then after that the uh, the instructors set you up for meetings with Warner Brothers executives and Warner Brothers showrunners and so I met on a bunch of Warner Brothers shows from that season and got hired onto a show called Ringer hmm. uh, starring Sarah Michelle Geller on the CW uh, and that was my first TV gig uh, and now I'm here
1: very cool very cool yeah honestly those fellowships are amazing yeah um, and they pay uh, part of your salary the first year too
0: they're all a little different um, I know they may have changed, but I know for a long time, the ABC Disney Fellowship, you would actually get a salary. You were mm-hmm. a salaried employee uh, for a year. Um, with Warner Brothers, they would... So if a, if a showrunner hired somebody from the Warner Brothers program, you were free to that showrunner for the first, I think, 20 weeks. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, because the, the, the Warner Brothers program would pay your salary. And then after those 20 weeks, if the showrunner liked you and wanted to keep you, they had to find the money in their budget to keep you, uh, and I was fortunate that that my bosses on Ringer uh, did that. They they found the money and kept me on, so I did the full season. Very um, very cool. But yeah, they're they're a huge uh, entry point uh, to this uh, to this industry, and and most of the people in my class, uh, there were I think eight or nine of us, mm-hmm. and a lot of us are still in the business. Wow. Um, some of them are showrunners now, uh, others have gone on to other paths, but uh, but they have a I think coming out of that program, I said, like I said, there were eight or nine of us and all but one of us got staffed on a show. So like wow. the success rate coming out of it is is pretty tremendous.
1: Very cool, very cool. So to, to talk about that first experience in on Ringer, in the, in the writer's room, what was that like and what was that room like?
0: Yeah, it was great. It was a great room. Um, it was... Uh, Eric Carmelo and Nicole Snyder created the show uh, and a woman named Pam Visay was brought in to help run it because Eric and Nicole had never run a show. They were relatively lower level writers. I think they were story editors at Mm. that point, maybe a little higher. Um, But it was great. They had a really clear vision for what the show was and were really clear about what they wanted it to be and the staff was great. Um, I was a staff writer. Uh, I think I was the only staff writer. So everybody else i was i was the lowest on in the hierarchy mm-hmm. um uh there was a writer's assistant named bob Barons, who i became really good friends with and he's running kung fu now wow. uh, and and he was he wrote episodes of ringer even as mm-hmm. even as an assistant um i'm friends with everybody on that staff to this day uh, mm-hmm. it was a great experience we shot here in la so i got to go to set for my episodes uh which yeah. is
1: not common for a staff writer. It,
0: it's not common for a staff writer. I mean, it, it kind of depends on the show about who goes to set. Uh, but being in L.A. makes it much easier for everybody to go uh, or even to go if it's not your episode. Like there was one yeah. day where uh, we were shooting on the beach one night on a Friday night and it wasn't my episode. but I was like, I'll go hang out on the beach for a while and just hang out and uh, which is harder to do if you're shooting out of town. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it was really great, great experience. I got to be they, the, the bosses were empowering in the sense that even as a staff writer, I was attending uh, production meetings, which doesn't always happen, and I could actually speak in them, which also doesn't always happen. Mm-hmm. There are some shows where the staff writer is basically, you don't speak unless spoken to. Wow. Uh, but on day one, I asked the bosses, like, what, are you, what am I here for? What are you expecting of me? Do you want me to pitch? And they're like, yeah, you're here to work. We mm-hmm. want your ideas. We want you to speak up. and so yeah I, they were they honored that it was mm. a great experience
1: very cool very cool um and so you you did
0: a couple episodes of avengers assemble was mm. that a full staff experience or were those freelance yeah i did two episodes of avengers assemble and those were just freelance mm. gigs uh that i uh some guys i knew from the comic book world uh joe kelly steve siegel duncan releau and joe casey uh, have a Kind of a collective called Man of Action, and they uh, produce and create a bunch of animated shows. And they were running this Avengers cartoon, and Joe Casey had—I had run into him in a comic shop or something. And he was like, "Hey, if you're, you know, if you're not staffed or, or you know, or looking for work, let me know. We always have stuff, and you know, you could work with us." And so, you know, I wrote two episodes of Avengers with them, and it was, cool. it was very different from doing live action, mm. mainly because. uh the story was already the story was basically handed to me oh um, wow the men of action broke it and handed me an outline and we're like here's the episode just turn it into a script and so i just took their outline and just expanded it added dialogue and and some more choreography uh to turn it into a script but you know it was it was technically i co-wrote it we're, we're both billed as writers because they had conceived it broke out the beats and then I just fleshed it out, so it was it was a pretty easy gig. That's uh, pretty neat, actually. I, yeah, I've it was never heard it was of Freelance of being done that way. Yeah, I, I don't know how common that is. I'm I'm pretty ignorant of of the way animated shows work, mm-hmm. uh, so I don't know if that was the norm or if that was unusual.
1: Mm-hmm. Very cool. And then from Avengers Assemble, you were a staff writer on Starcrossed.
0: That yes. was another uh, WB show, right? That was uh, CW. Oh, yeah. CW. I mean, yeah. it, it was it was produced by CBS. It CW is weird because. CW is owned by Warner Brothers and CBS. Uh, and so all of their shows are technically produced by both studios, mm-hmm. but one studio is usually kind of the, the hands-on producer. So it was kind of ironic that I went through the Warner Brothers program and got staffed on Ringer, mm-hmm. which was really produced by CBS television. Yeah. And then Starcross was also produced by CBS television, even though it aired on CW. Hmm. Uh, so yeah, Starcross was another uh, CW, uh, show about aliens in high school uh, and that was a fantastic experience. We only did 13 episodes but it was a ton of fun uh, and again, another staff that was super supportive, I'm friends with all of them to this day, we shot in New Orleans, um, so that was fun I got to go to set um, wrote my wedding vows in between takes uh, oh, wow. in a swamp in New Orleans because I got married right after my episode shot um, and yeah, it was, it was a fun time, Starcross was a lot of fun very I'm very cool, and and again very,
1: another another show where you get to go to set as a staff writer. Yeah. Um, from what I hear, that is not generally
0: the norm. Hmm. Yeah, I think it, it just depends on the show, I guess. Yeah, I, I, I don't know if I have enough enough data to to know whether it's normal or not. It's been normal for me, thankfully. Yeah. Uh, but it, yeah, you're right. It's not always the case. Yeah. Very
1: cool, and and I'm curious about the fact that you, uh, at that point or around that point, you released Copperhead, a, a comic mm. title. Yes. Um, how were you involved in comics
0: through that time or was how did I was, come? yeah for especially through like near de- through ringer and and uh starcrossed I was writing comics and when I went on zoo I was still writing comics and yeah it, it was a juggling act it was mm. this was before I had a son so uh-huh. I had my weekends were free you know early mornings um and so, yeah, I would normally, at that stage of my life, I would bang out a comic script over the weekend mm. uh, in between TV responsibilities. But it was it was tough. You know, I would be in the writer's room all day and I'd get an email from somebody at Image being like, hey, can you proof these pages? You know, and I'd be like, yeah, tonight. Like, mm-hmm. I can't do it now. Yeah. And so I had to work with Image to give me, like, a buffer. Like, look, if you need me to look at something, you got to build in, like... 24 hours like Mm. i can't look at it at the drop of a hat anymore because i'm in a writer's room and i can't just pull out my phone or open up my computer and do something else like that's my my day job
1: well a lot a lot of
0: staff writer contracts preclude any outside work too it it's that's usually in television like they so yeah so on every show even if you're not a staff writer just if you're if you're contracted to that show like that show owns you and you Mm -hmm. can't work on another show while you're on that one you can't write so it's just working film. on another it, television it's usually show. television yeah. shows like some like movies i think sometimes people can write a feature script while they're on a show i know that happens i don't know if they had to get special permission or, mm. or but with comics uh i know that my reps carve that out that, mm. that, that that you know my tv work would not impact my comic book work but i know that my tv work has to come first they're the ones it's no secret that TV pays more than comics for most yeah. people. If you're Brian Vaughn or Robert Kirkman, comics pays you just fine, <laughs> but but for a lot of us, TV is where the money
1: is. Yeah. And so you mentioned Zoo. Um, you were on that for three seasons, and yeah. on Zoo, you you went up a few levels too, didn't you?
0: Yeah, I was. I started, I guess, as a story editor, and then I was an exec story editor, and then a co-producer. By the time I left, uh, yeah, Zoo was. I think I was actually on Supergirl longer in terms of like calendar days, Mm -hmm. just because we did more episodes and there was the pandemic and we had a long break. Uh, Zoo, I was on for three seasons, but they were each 13 episode seasons. Mm. Uh, But that show was uh, a dream. It was so much fun. Uh, It just got crazier and crazier. Uh, The staff was great. Um, And it was the first show that I was on. You know, sadly, Ringer and Starcross both got canceled after their first season. Mm -hmm. And Zoo, we got to do three years. We still never got to wrap anything up it ended on a massive cliffhanger uh but it was a lot of fun Um, we shot the first season of that in new orleans and in the second two uh we moved up to vancouver uh and it was uh just a lot of fun and again another show where i have friends to this day that i made on there yeah and it it it
1: really is a different experience when you have a a long running series um you can you can fall into a rhythm you get to know the characters more
0: yep Get to their characters. And it was also interesting because there was staff turnover. We had a different writer's room every year. uh, And I was one of the only constants. It was the showrunners, me, and then there was a guy named Brian O, who was another writer producer uh, that stayed on through all all three seasons. Um, And it's also interesting to see um, when we moved, like, there were people who worked on Supergirl, on the Supergirl crew. That had also worked on Zoo. Uh, just a handful, not many, but there, there was. It's a small world. Mm. You, know, you shoot two shows in Vancouver, and you're going to start seeing some crossover. Uh, there were a couple episodes of Supergirl that we had an iguana, who we would then turn into this giant dragon. And the, I was on set when we had the iguana and the animal wrangler was somebody that i knew from working on zoo many many times because yeah. on zoo we always had animals uh supergirl it was a rarity but it's just a small world that it's oh it's a dude from zoo uh,
1: yeah 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 it's so much fun watching uh, especially stargate sg1 10 seasons in vancouver they would actually have the same actors playing different parts
0: yeah <laughs> in different oh, episodes yeah.
1: um i i knew a couple of the actors and it was so fun to see them yeah but playing completely happens, different parts
0: even happens on the cw shows yeah. on the on the, on the aeroverse shows there's actors who've been on flash who play somebody else on supergirl who play somebody else on legends and it's just you know there's only so many actors to go around
1: yeah very very fun and so then let's talk about supergirl yeah. and just from the outside looking in it would seem that your involvement in comics would make writing a show about a dc character have a little extra impact for you
0: it was yeah it was it was this was like a dream gig in a lot of ways uh because i got to to mine so much of my superhero you know background um and and just to yeah to to get to work on a on an actual we used to say that zoo was a comic book and and it was in a lot of ways it was just over the top and and you know everything was heightened but you know supergirl was a literal comic book it was characters that i knew from the comics and situations yeah supergirl was a lot of fun because of all the characters i got to play with just just the different corners of the dcu that we would pull from uh, like I was a big Legion fan as a kid and to see Jesse Rath as Brainiac 5 and especially towards the end where we got him to be green and in the purple suit and with the blonde hair like I, I'm not sure why he was blue with white hair to begin with I would, that was before my time but seeing him truly as brainy on screen was amazing and yeah. uh, and Jesse Rath was a, a, a big nerd and, and really took that role super seriously he had his own legion ring uh he really kind of delved into it uh in a great way and so it was just fun to just to 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 be in my element there and and you know some of the other writers were big comic nerds others were not and it made a good mix because you would have people who had a deep appreciation for the source material and and uh and other people who could come to it with a fresh eye and and look at it in a whole new way uh which was also helpful you know because the show is gonna be aimed at more than just people who are diehard comic fans. Like it has, to, it has to appeal to a wider audience. So it was smart to have that mix on the staff of big nerds like me, and then people who, who come at it from a different perspective.
1: Hmm. I, I've heard that it's actually an asset to have a comic background, uh, or at least to be an enthusiast of the comics. Um, Keto Shimizu was one person mm-hmm. uh, who told me that um, they, they like to have at least one person on staff who really knows comics well
0: yeah yeah i think that was that was the uh that was the feeling at supergirl as well like when they hired me they hired me and another guy named jay and i think part of what made us appealing was that we were both big comic book nerds uh because they had a writer who who kind of filled that slot who was no longer on the show uh and so yeah i think that was a large part of of what made us attractive to to the bosses Mm -hmm. and who were the showrunners on that this was robert rovner and jessica queller Mm, okay um
1: and uh, and so talk about writing a concluding season um you you mentioned that zoo sort of ended on a cliffhanger mm-hmm. but actually writing to a conclusion is a yeah. rarity in in tv
0: yeah it was we it was a luxury to to be able to that that, that cw gave us that heads up to be like hey this is going to be your last season and they did it early in the season and, and gave us time they, they even uh they were very generous in that they gave us enough time to actually plan out an ending and to work towards it uh and it was it was a challenge because uh you know superhero shows or superhero stories superhero comics most of them aren't designed to have an ending they're mm-hmm. they're serialized they go on forever it's, it's superman fights a never-ending battle like they're they're not supposed to have a, an end point um and so to to do that uh on on our show to to, to to try to reach an endpoint when one was never designed in the first place mm. was a challenge, and and to find a way to to and because and we didn't want to give the, the 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 sense to the fans that that Kara's story had ended. There there wasn't an ending in the way that there was an ending on you know Breaking Bad, where mm-hmm. uh, where yes there was a finite ending to that. Uh, here you know the characters are going to continue, so it was a nice way to kind of find. Uh, A place in their lives for us to say farewell to them but Mm. to know that their stories are going to continue uh and i think we walked that line pretty well uh we had a fun viewing party for the finale the other night where all the writers got together at a bar and and were able to watch this together and it was a really nice it was nice for two reasons it was nice just to be able to celebrate the end of the show Mm. but also nice because we hadn't been in the same room together in over a year wow we did this whole season of television during covid on zoom uh and so a few of us have seen each other socially, you know, in in one on one or two on two or whatever. But uh, but to have us all together in a room, it had been a long, long time. And so that was really nice to be able to come together and and uh, and see that send off. And and uh, I I think I think it was uh, a good ending, and it was um, the way we left the characters. I thought was pretty satisfying. Hmm. Yeah. and I'm
1: just so impressed. Um, I mean. M- Everybody who follows me on Twitter knows my. our family's been big super fans for a long time. Um, being able to visit the set in the first yeah. season while it was still a CBS show. Um, I'm just so happy that it's been able to be such a success. Yeah. Um, I mean, think of the way the Supergirl movie bombed. Yes, yes. Um, it's not easy yeah. to...
0: It's, it is not yeah. easy, but this show had some kind of alchemy that um, this cast was incredible. Like, they any one of them could lead their own show like and and we had them as an ensemble working together uh, they were they all knew their characters inside and out were super generous to other actors who would be you know guest starring uh and and just elevated the material uh anything we gave them that we thought would be funny they would make hilarious mm. or if we thought like oh this, this will be pretty emotional they would make super emotional because they they just brought it and elevated anything we gave them
1: Very, very cool. Well, we'll start to um, wrap things up here, but uh, what's next for you? I mean, Supergirl's wrapped. Um, What's in the cards?
0: Yeah, I don't know. Uh, It's, you know, we are recording this on, what, November 13th? 13th. Uh, And we're approaching Thanksgiving, and Thanksgiving is when Hollywood starts to just close up shop until the new year. Mm -hmm. Uh, So not a lot's going to happen right now. I'm working on a new pilot script. I'm working on, I have some new comic book stuff I have. Uh, I have a new book that's gonna come out uh, in 2022 that hasn't been announced yet. Uh, I'm close to closing a deal for another new comic series. It'll probably come out either late 22 or early 23. Um, I've started, uh, I mentioned earlier in this interview that uh, at one time I wanted to write prose and I've finally started to do that. 30 some years later, I'm Mm -hmm. I'm working on my first novel, which is super exciting. Very cool. Uh, and yeah, I'll probably end up on another show next year somewhere, whether it's a show that I've created or I'm staffed on somebody else's show. But right now, I don't know what that'll be. Uh, I'm excited to find out. <laughs>
1: very cool. So um, as as we wrap up, usually we have um, tips for people who are starting out, but I think because you've got these two very distinct um, parts of your background, what tips would you give somebody who wants to start out writing for comics? And what tips would you give for somebody who wants to start out writing for television in okay. today's landscape?
0: Sure. Yeah. For comics, I think it's never been more ex- like accessible to, to make a comic because you don't need a publisher at this point. With the internet, you can find an artist uh, and make your own comic and make it available to everybody. You never have to you know, pay for money to print it out of your own pocket. You don't have to find a publisher. Uh, You can just make your own comics online digitally. Uh, And even if they don't get a huge readership, that's the kind of thing that you can use as a sample to show an editor, to show like, look, this is something I made. An editor is going to respond more to a finished comic than they are to a comic book script that you wrote. Right. Mainly because the comics just easier and faster to read. Finding an artist is a challenge, uh, but again, the internet has kind of broken down those those barriers and, and you know, if you're active on Twitter or Instagram, uh, you can, you know, just start networking with other comic fans because the beautiful thing about comics is most people who read comics also want to make comics. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you can find a fledgling artist. Uh, you know, if you're still a student, you know, look at the art department, look at the art classes that, that, at, that are at your school. You might find an artist there. Who, who wants to make comics? Somebody to collaborate with, uh, but yeah, the internet is your friend in that regard.
1: Yeah, and television.
0: Uh, for television, I would I would watch a ton of TV um, and not just watch it, but like analyze it. When I was writing my samples to get into these workshops. Uh, i wrote a burn notice sample scripts spec script they're called and so i watched a bunch of burn notices and i would outline them i would sit there with a legal pad and write like i would summarize just like a sentence about each scene uh and then i would also analyze how long the acts were uh you know between each commercial break okay the first act tends to be between you know nine and eleven minutes and the second act is between 10 and 12 and oh this fourth act is usually only seven or eight minutes and and to try to just get a sense of the pacing of Mm. that kind of thing uh and if you do that you'll you'll really get to see under the hood of how a television show is made uh it sounds mechanical but it'll really help you see the story in a different way if you outline it yourself Mm -hmm. um and then just write just like the more you, you can find scripts online pretty easily um to find samples uh there's free uh screenwriting software that you can find online as well uh or at least very low cost you can buy a trial version or a student version um and then just write as much as you can uh and write to to make yourself happy don't try to gauge what you think people are going to be interested in uh i forget who said it what of my favorite expressions is if you can see a bandwagon it's too late to climb on like uh-huh. so if you think that uh like a couple of years ago um Time travel was big on TV. You had Timeless and there was another show, a pilot that had been made. And time travel seemed to be in the zeitgeist. Don't try to do a time travel show. Like the the minute you can see a trend, Mm -hmm. it's over. Uh, Just write what's going to make you excited. Write the kind of show that you want to see. And that enthusiasm will tend to be contagious. Uh, Because if you're not excited about it, if you're writing something just because you think that's what people want to read, it's going to appear kind of lifeless. You got to write what excites you what you can't put down even if you don't think there's a market for it there might be uh and at worst you know you're not going to sell your first script so just write just keep writing write one script write another one then write a third one you just gotta the more pages you write the better you're gonna get even at my stage i want every script i write to be better than the last one i wrote uh i i try to compare myself to myself not to other writers uh that advice is hard to maintain all the time. You can't help but compare yourself. But do your best to just compete with yourself. And the more you write, the better you're going to get.
1: Very cool. That's a great place to end up. I appreciate you being so generous with yeah. your time. At um, Jay Ferber on Twitter. And yep. I'll put the uh, uh, the correct way to spell your name in, in the show notes. <laughs> yes. uh, any other places to contact you? Instagram uh, or anything like that? I'm
0: on Instagram, but not super active. But mm-hmm. Twitter's the best bet. Twitter's where yep. you can find me.
1: Very cool. Well, thanks so much, Jay, and best of luck to you Thank for you. all your projects in the coming year. Thank you. Please follow me on Twitter for the latest updates. At Grey Jones is my handle. Make sure to bookmark tvwriterpodcast.com and scriptmag.com. You can find the video version of this podcast at iTunes, Podbean, and on YouTube. Make sure you do subscribe to all these places. Audio only, you can find us at iTunes, Podbean, Spotify, or Pandora. And on Instagram, you can follow at TV Writer Podcast.